Welcome. This is my truth as a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm really excited today to share a conversation with you that I had with Heather Chauvin. Heather is one of my mentors and just an all-around amazing human. And we touch on a lot of different parts of Heather's story, but in re-listening to our conversation, the thing that I kept coming back to was the phrase, give yourself permission. And I think so many of us, myself included, wait until we have this reckoning or we hit rock bottom or something forces us in our life to reevaluate everything. And the reality is, is that we don't necessarily need to wait for something quote unquote terrible to happen to us in order to give ourselves permission to act on what we truly want. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, and I think that there's a lot of cultural and societal pressure to not give yourself permission, but I think that when you take a step back and you ask yourself the simple question, which Heather talks a lot about in our conversation, but the simple question of what is it that I want? in this moment, right? It doesn't need to be something as big as what do you want out of life? It can be that, but start small. What do you want? What do I want? What do I need? And then give yourself the permission to act on that. You will start to see a shift. You will start to experience a different way of living. And for myself, It has been eye-opening and rewarding and, frankly, freeing to sit back and give myself permission to act on my inner voice. I've said earlier in, in previous podcast episodes that sometimes my inner voice terrifies me. It still does, but I now have trust in the process and trust that my body knows what it needs in order to to act. And sometimes that means, you know, taking a messy action or, you know, not always getting it right, right off the bat, which is so hard for a perfectionist like myself, but I... For anyone listening to today's conversation, I want you to ask yourself at the end of listening to my conversation with Heather, what do I need for myself right now? 
What do I want? And then give yourself permission to go do that effing thing. DM me and let me know what resonated with you in this episode. You can find me on Instagram at This Is My Truth Podcast. And the link is in the show notes. Take a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, Heather. I am so thrilled to have you on. And I am so excited for the audience to hear your story today. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I was going to say, do I get to call you Jesse? Jess. You can can call me Jesse. Jess, don't just. Just don't call me Jessica. Bring back okay. flashbacks to being in trouble and when I'm seven years old. Isn't that funny how when we're called certain certain things, we're like, oh, it's a trigger. It's a memory. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm excited to have this conversation. Me too. Um, so I kick off the conversations with most guests with the open-ended question of what is the story or truth you'd like to share today? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Before I share that, I want to tell another story. Perfect. I was asked almost a similar question um, maybe eight years ago. There was this documentary that was being taped inside in Toronto somewhere. So I live about five hours away from Toronto. So I got on a on a train and went there. Um, it was with the own network. So I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be on Oprah's network. It was called the truth project. And you had to sit on this couch and they said, what is your truth that the world would not know about you? And I think what I said back then was I am secretly always terrified and people believe that I am, um, a confident person. So I'm sure there's lots of stories I can tell you, and I know we'll get into that, but I think that's a truth I just want to share with the world today as well. I love that. And I'm going to steal that question from the OWN network. So thanks for sharing that with me. Um, but I think so many people can relate to that truth, right? I think so many of us, again, I can only speak for myself, but I think for so many years, I walked with, around afraid of someone really understanding who I was authentically at my core. And so I put on a front. Yeah, it's easy to do that. It's easy. There's two things I know. like you can put on this front of like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then there's the, I'm just going to show up as my authentic self and speak my truth. And um for a really, really long time, I had to do that from a place of survival. Like I had to do that just to find a sense of purpose. Like when I started my podcast, I did it from a almost screaming to the world. Like, am I alone? Am I the only woman in the world who feels chronically overwhelmed and like I'm failing and like, I'm not good enough. And, um, trying to figure my way out. And as I started talking to other people, I realized no, I'm not alone, but there is this, how do, how do you do that, Heather? How do you put yourself out there? How do you pitch yourself? How do you, I'm like, you just do it. Like I, I need to more feed, feed my soul rather than the egos of other people. I know you and I have had this conversation before, but I think that it's, 
it's easier. It's sometimes easier said than done, right? Uh, being on the other side of some of that to be able to say, um, I am able to, to see where that was coming from now, but when you're in it, it's so hard to understand that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, I've, I've obviously started this podcast and I started it because when I started telling people about my story, right, so many people said me too. And it wasn't necessarily infertility stories that people were saying me too about. It was, there's always a common thread in someone's experience. And I think that it took me a really long time and you know this more intimately than others to be able to get to that point where I was comfortable enough talking about it, but that, that was hard. And it probably took me a good year of taking action, thinking about what I truly wanted and really listening to myself and being comfortable with what being able to like hear myself and do that thing that my body was telling me to do, or my inner voice was telling me to do. And I think that's sometimes easier said than done. Yeah, because when we begin, it's like a journey to trust yourself. And this knowing that is chronically speaking to you, and yet when are you going to listen to it? Because when we've always neglected that part of ourselves and then life doesn't happen as it should, I'm using air quotes, it doesn't feel good, and then all of a sudden someone's like, what do you want? you know, what, what restaurant do you want to go to? <laughs> what do you want to do tonight? And you're like, I'm just exhausted and I don't want to make a decision. And then they're like, okay, let's go for pizza. And your gut is like, I didn't want pizza, but you don't know how to start listening to that voice. And for a really long time, I didn't do that until I had my come to Jesus moment when I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And then I had to start listening in a completely different light on what is it that I wanted in my life? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What, how can I make the intangible tangible? How can I trust myself more? And I had to do it on a whim to <laughs> like, let's do this as a challenge. Let's do this as an experiment because there's no turning back because back is death. So forward is living, I guess. Let's figure it out. What, what was that journey like for you? So, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you're diagnosed, you're sitting there and you, it's, I have to choose death or life. What was that like for you? So it was December 21st, 2013. And the day before that, I decided, and then I can back up a little bit, but I decided to go to the emergency room by myself. And I remember pulling out my health card, giving it to the nurse, and she looked at me, said, why are you here? And I said, I have mild back pain and abdominal bloating. And I said it like that. And her response was, you're here for mild back pain and abdominal bloating, like sitting in the emergency room? And she confirmed a belief that I already had in that moment, which was, I don't deserve to be here. I'm taking away from other people by being in this room. 
And I sat there with my discomfort for a very long time. And I say very long time, it was like two hours. And I'm watching these people sitting in agonizing pain, coming in like blood, broken bones. And the story I was telling myself in my head is these people need this medical care more than you. Suck it up, Heather. You're fine. It's mild. You're going to be okay. The reason why I went to the emergency room is because my husband said, you got to go. My abdomen was swelling. I went to, I actually went to a clinic previous and they were like, it's not your pancreas. Like we, we don't know what it is. If it gets worse, like go to the hospital and I'm paying attention, but I'm not paying attention. And at this point I look maybe five months pregnant, like just not just oblivious to the fact that my abdomen is ballooning out. Um, because I didn't take care of myself. I didn't eat. I didn't. And when I say I didn't eat, I only ate when my body was like, Hey, if you don't eat, you're going to die. Um, because I felt I didn't have time to eat. Like my mindset around nutrition didn't work out, barely went outside. You know, I, Oh, kids are awake. That means I'm awake. Open, you know, open my laptop, get to work. And it was just, I was in a state of crisis in all areas of my life. Um, and then what happened was I went back. So I left the hospital that night. My husband's like, were you seen? I'm like, nope. He drove me back and sat next to me. He was like, I am not leaving until you are seen. So that night, Jesse, they did a CT of my abdomen, took blood work, and on the spot told me I had cancer. Wow. And my truth was I knew. Like the truth was in that moment, I knew like it was confirmation. You know, when you get that, you're like, yeah, I already knew. Yeah. I already knew. So I stood there. The first thought I had, and I say this on some podcasts, I don't know if it will be in the book. I'm very nervous to put it in the book. Um, but the first thought I had when I was, when they said you have cancer was maybe my father will notice me now. That was my first thought. It's like, wow, if that is not a wound coming to the surface, I don't know what is. So immediately I went into paralyzing mode and then I look at my husband and he's crying and I'm like, okay, now I need to take care of him. You're, it's okay, it's okay, we'll figure this out. And he's crying and I'm watching everyone around me, like even the nurses treating me like I'm dying. Oh, immediately. Like she was a rude, bitchy nurse. And all of a sudden her whole energy and demeanor, oh, you have cancer. Now I'll be kind to you. And I just was, it, it was like time stopped and I could see everybody's like the matrix or something. I could see everybody for who they really were and what was really going on and them literally projecting their shit onto me. And I remember walking out of the hospital on that night and I looked up in the sky, it was raining and I live in, well, Ontario in Windsor near Michigan. It shouldn't have been raining. It should have been snowing. That's my point. And I remember looking up and I was like, you finally have my attention. And I have no idea what or who I was talking to because at that point, um, you know, when people would talk about God, I would get triggered from my Roman Catholic background, but I knew that there was always something bigger, but I didn't know how to tap into that bigger. So I just looked up and I said, you finally have my attention, guide me, show me the way, give me little signs, like drop me little hints here or there. I will pay attention and I will act from that place now. And 
I just went home and I was never the same. I had to surrender to traditional treatment when, you know, I come from this holistic background. I was in the wellness space, even though I wasn't taking care of myself, which is ironic and yet very mainstream where people are like, I do yoga. I drink my green smoothies, smoothies. That's a new word. I just made a word. Dictionary. Yeah, exactly. I drink my green smoothies, but yet I'm an asshole to myself and other people. And I remember surrendering to traditional medicine because I had to, the tumors were so, they were, it was a rapid growing cancer. So we had to take quick action, unlike some where they're slow growing. And people said, don't listen to them. Don't take quick action. And they're staring at me. They're like, Heather, you're not going to make it till next week. So I quickly went into treatment. And then the next four months of my life, I felt were this surrender and chronic stripping away of um, layers and layers and layers of, oh, you think you can control that? Let me take it away from you. Oh, you think you can control that? Let me take it away from you. Until I felt like I got to this complete blank slate where I could then um, kind of reverse engineer my life and build myself back up. Thank you for sharing that. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm curious, um, two things. One, I want to go back to something you um, said in the beginning of you're in crisis mode in all areas of your life, because I think so many people can relate to that. How did you, like, what does that mean to you? How did you get to that point? Well, I think I was living in crisis for a very long time of my life. Um, so at the point of diagnosis, I was, um, well, I have three children and the youngest was a year old. It was also uh, socially acceptable for me to be in a state of crisis or survival mode uh, because that is pretty much the mainstream conversation uh, that women have. If you're not in a state of survival mode, you are failing as a mother. And now I see that as complete BS and I'm here to like change that conversation for women. Um, and it actually breaks my heart that that's what we've bought into. But I think unless you've had a wake up call or you're just done and you're ready to listen, cause you know, I can podcast all day, but if somebody doesn't want to listen to it or implement, they're going to be like, yeah, right. No, I have to be, I'm good when I'm dying. I'm good when I'm dying. Um, but when I look, so mothering at that, I've all at that moment, I was almost mothering for a decade. So previous to that, I became a mother when I was 18 years old. Previous to that, I was like a depressed teenager. I feel like I grew up, my mom, I would say still struggles with depression and, um, I grew up, I would say like learned helplessness, this sense of like a heavy cloud over me. I probably had some um, autoimmune issues. Like I was very sensitive. I was that like highly sensitive child that was like, ah, shut up. Like there's something wrong with you. Never really looked at. Um, my mother was not emotionally capable of like showing up for me. My father was like just this old man with his tail between his legs. And so my childhood, I felt like alone and like powerless, but yet I had this like little fire, fiery, like spirit inside of me still do. And then, yeah, my teen years, I slept, sleeping was my drug. 
And I didn't really understand that sleeping was a drug until I was in recovery, like post chemo. Um, and I slept and slept and slept to try to just take that anxiety away and that depression. Um, and I got away with it. Like I am very savvy. I called the school and my mom would be working cause she was a single parent and I would be at home and I would be like, hi, I'm Heather's mom and she can't come in today because she's sick. And I would, I would literally sleep for a week at a time and get away with not showing up at all to school. Wow. Yeah. It took, um, looking back, I'm like, holy heck, being able to get out of bed is, is a win for the day. Um, not my life today, but I was living in survival mode for a very, very long time. And so the point is it was like trauma after trauma, after trauma, heaviness after heaviness that just compiled. And then when I became a mother, um, oh gosh, my truth, I looked at my son and I was like, you Heather will not become a statistic. Your son will not become a statistic. So even though I was carrying this heaviness, I continued to just do everything against the grain. But yet I'm like, let's run a marathon with depression. Like it was like, let it was like, it was kind of a metaphor for my life. I didn't run marathons back then, but it was like, let's run a marathon with a thousand pounds in a backpack on a daily basis. And my drive was that I was so determined to figure out how to get rid of that heaviness for my son. And and I think cancer just gave me that gift because it, it was like, you wanted to die, Heather, you don't know how to live. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you to that moment to show you that you are capable and you got to figure your shit out. Well, thank you. There's, I love your fire and I'm grateful for it. And I think that, you know, so much of what you talk about, again, I can only speak for myself, but you know, I have felt that in a lot of different ways in my life. And I often say that my journey to motherhood was, you know, like 10 tons of elephants on my shoulders that I actually never even knew I had until I was on the other side of working through all of that, working through the grief, working through the emotions, working through the shame that came with, you know, this idea of like my body not doing what it was supposed to, getting pregnant with twins, having to make a decision, um, having another daughter a year later. And it wasn't until I worked through that and it was on the other side where I was like, holy shit, like, gosh, like I've been carrying around baggage that I didn't even realize and what a relief. And, um, I hope that for many people, it doesn't get to the point of, of a cancer diagnosis or a, you know, infertility struggle or, whatever it is for them to recognize that. But I suspect for many people, it, it sometimes is a life event because to your point earlier, we do live in a culture of, especially for women, go, 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 um, both professionally and personally. Yeah. And we're recording this during COVID, like isolation. And I've heard mixed stories from people like, oh, I'm actually kind of grateful because there's no more children's activities and I don't have anywhere to be, or, you know, I'm, not, I'm working from home. So now there's not the pressure of the office, but then you're literally sitting there with your children who's probably triggering all your childhood trauma and it's, it can be overwhelming or it can be liberating. Um, yeah, but it's been interesting because you... I didn't realize people, you know, when they say 
and the wellness industry has done this very well. Um, they've marketed finding your purpose, right? Like find your purpose, find your purpose. And one of the, um, first coaches that I had, and I've always, I love mentorship and, you know, you always jump into it for one thing and then you realize there's something else that you need. Um, one of them, her thing was about purpose. And I was like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And she was like, you can't see it, but you do it every day anyways, Heather, but you're, you're a perfectionist and you're trying to seek this, um, like perfect tagline. Um, but I didn't realize that our purpose as humans is to experience joy or just to like arrive back home to yourself. Like, what does that feel like? It's not finding your purpose. It's inside of you already. And you have to do some digging because most likely you are carrying all those big elephants on your back. And for a lot of people, I don't think feeling good, I don't think they know that feeling good is part of their purpose, whatever that is. And so when you just, for me, in hindsight, you know, looking back, I'm like, okay, if I just would have like ran home to myself, like, what do you want, Heather? What's that desire? And gave myself permission to do that. I would have been more in alignment, but that's not how the journey went. That's not the story. Um, and I probably, I wouldn't change anything. 2020 is, you know, hindsight is always 20. I'm like, what is 2020? What does that say? 2020 is the year of COVID. <laughs> oh my God. 20. Fuck, are we still in 2020? <laughs> I want this year to be over. My mom just keeps calling it the gap year. <laughs> um, it was a leap year. So it's just, it's a weird year. 2020. 2020. It's also the year that Greg turns 40 and he keeps telling me that he's actually just going to turn 40 in 2021. And I think that's not how this works. <laughs> like, Sorry. You can't be in denial this year. You still turn 40 in September, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Um, so I want to, I want to stay on this topic of sort of understanding your inner voice, listening to your inner voice. So you get diagnosed with cancer, you go through the treatments. Um, and one of the things it sounds like is this, you know, stripping of the layers to sort of the core of, of what, you want. So what did that look like for you? Okay, man, I'm still trying to figure that out some days. Um, and when I say that, I think it's a fluid thing and I, my children and dogs might bark or make noise, but that's life. Um, I think it's a fluid thing. It's chronically there and it's just like, it's an open tap, right? I always say to everyone like, what do you want? What do you want? And they'll say, I don't know. And I'm like, you do like, you're here for a reason. Um, the interesting part was for me, I already knew what I wanted before I got sick. I was reading the books. I was, I was actually coaching. I was, um, I completely shifted the focus of my business because I was highly focused on the parent child relationship. And then I would hear women say, Heather, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. Um, or like just, you know, something else. And I didn't even look at the desire part. So of course, when I'm not looking at the desire part, I'm like resisting looking at that myself. So then when this happened, I'm, I would ask myself, what do you want? And Jesse, the only difference was it was the exact same things, but now I gave myself permission to act on them. And there was like the short-term desires, like 
I want to live. <laughs> I want a bath. I want um, a glass of water. I want, um, I actually wanted to shave my head before I had to shave my head, which was really cool because it gave me permission to do that. Like, just go for it. Um, and then there was like the long-term desires, the bigger desires, which were, I want to travel the world. I want to buy a paddleboard. I want um, really cool clothes, which I'm still trying to work out. I want um, to start a podcast. I want to make a million dollars. I want to write a book. And although I couldn't step into everything at the same time, when I started acting on the little things, like I want a glass of water, I want a bath. And I said to my husband, Brian, Hey, can, you know, you watch the kids, I'm going to take a bath. And then I create that space and I take that bath. All of a sudden I notice this energetic shift inside of me. And then I'm like, okay, lean into that. Okay. What else do I want? I get out my pen and paper. And then I just kept acting on what came out, like the little things and the snowball effect. And then I realized, holy crap, this was in me the whole time. And I just had to give myself permission that I was worthy of acting on it. And the only reason why I did at that time was because I didn't want to die. I love that. And I think that when you and I started talking, you, I think you asked me, you must've asked me like, what do you want? And I remember I probably, I probably was that person I was like, I don't know. Um, but then I remember being like, all I want to do is feel, I want to feel the good, the bad and the ugly because for so long I had been numbing myself to any feeling. And that was like both scary and freeing to one, recognize that for, you know, the majority of my adult life and probably even my childhood life, like it was never modeled for me how to, um, appropriately like emotionally regulate. And so I just, to be the strong one in my family, I just shut it down and kept pushing forward. But I wanted to sometimes say, you know, I can't handle this. Like I need a break. I just didn't know how to do that. And so I think so many of us can relate to that. Um, so thank you. Yeah. And what I, I just want to pick, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but you're asking me the questions. So you I can't can ask me questions. <laughs> um, I want to know what it was that started to make you feel again. But then I also wanted to comment that just like my, my sleep as a drug, I did not identify as somebody who was self-medicating because I've never done drugs, like never. Um, I don't drink. I barely drank. And so society would look at me and be like, I'm not an addict, right? Like I don't have those numbing tendencies and there's nobody else where I'm like, there's a support group for sleep. <laughs> like there's, you know what I mean? Unless you want extra sleep. I'm like, I can sleep for 24 hours a day because I'm numbing my feelings. So it, you know, and people are like, how do you feel? Like, I don't know. It, I can't pinpoint like that one thing that got me to feel again, like where that teeter totter was for me. I'm curious what that is for you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm turning it on you. No, I think that's it's supposed to be a conversation, right? So, you know, I don't know if there's one moment that I can say 
oh, I'm feeling again. I can, I can say that the moment where I recognized I had a problem was at six in the morning. I was brushing my teeth one morning with my electric toothbrush and my husband turns to me. It was actually 6.03. I'll never forget this. And he likes to have like deep conversations really early in the morning, which drives me bonkers. Um, and he just looks at me and he asks a really simple question of, are you happy? And for some reason that day, I blurted out the truth, which was no. And it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of him. And it forced me to look inward and be like, oh, why am I not happy? And it, you know, if someone had said, you know, like write down all the reasons why you're not happy, I probably, you know, I didn't do this, but it probably would have been things like, I feel like I'm being stretched in a million different directions. I feel overwhelmed at work. I feel like I'm being a terrible parent. I'm basically giving 10% to being a mom, a wife, and, you know, a, an employer or employee. And, but if someone had said, you know, what are all the things that you want? I don't know if I could have listed anything. Like, I think my list of like, why, why do you feel bad would have been like miles long and flipping that and asking, well, what is it that you want to feel? What are your dreams? <laughs> Probably would have been like one thing, maybe two. And, um, that was my aha moment of there's something wrong. I think when I realized that I could start to feel again, and let's be honest, this is a journey. There are still times where I'm catching myself shoving emotions down. So like, I'm very much a work in progress is, um, it, it had to be, it had to be, I can't think of like a specific moment, but just in terms of parenting with the girls, they would do something. And I used to like get really upset, but hold back my tears. And now if I'm really overwhelmed or they're doing something that is driving me insane and I'm not able to regulate in that moment, I just cry. And it's funny because it scares them <laughs> when I cry. Um, Lucy, my oldest would be like, mama, don't cry. You're not supposed to cry. And I always respond, well, if you can cry, then I can cry. Um, but I think that was my aha moment where I was no longer, you know, shoving those emotions down. I was letting myself and my kids actually see me feel emotions, which wasn't necessarily modeled for me growing up. And I wanted to make sure it was modeled for my kids. Yeah. And there's like that moment and you're, there's like that moment where you become that awareness of you can feel the tears coming up and then you're like, come on, let them go, let them go, let them go. Instead of being like, whoop, close it down. Um, yeah. I, it's interesting because looking back, I feel like in my own life, I mean, there's coping strategies that we have and they, there's pros and cons to it, right? It's like you can muster up anything and power through if you need to. Yep. And especially during this time, I'm watching people who have like the resiliency factor and there's like a fine, fine line between having that resiliency and showing up. Like my crisis intervention strategies for my social work background have come in and I almost signed up, Jesse, to be on like Health Canada and 
my husband's like, why would you do that? Why? Cause my, my psychology therapist friend was like, you should do this. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that while homeschooling and building my business and being the breadwinner and doing all these things. And I'm like, yeah, that would be fun. Let's just go on the front lines. And uh, he's like, why, why do you have this need and the strong desire to save humanity? And that moment, right? Like you're saying the tears, I had to sit with that discomfort of like not running to that because that's my go-to. And I'm like, okay, I can be of service in other ways right now. And I don't have to do it all. And it's still uncomfortable because I kind of want to be there. I want to do that, but I can, I can help later. I can help now or do whatever. But I think the fact that that's like the impulse, I have to not act on the impulse and just to sit with the, like sit and wait before you make that decision. And that to me, I think has helped me change those patterns, like those emotional patterns. Yeah, I I would agree. And I think for me, it's even a step before that it's recognizing that that's your impulse, right. Or that is your go-to move. Um, yeah, I am very much a people pleaser. Um, and so when I, when my daughters first started to go to preschool, I was like, I'll be the, I'll be the room parent. I'll, I'll organize all of that. I'm on maternity leave with my second kid, but yeah, I can be the room parent. And yes, I work at a, like, not like I work at a corporate job that is, you know, I run a team of 10 people, but no problem. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And it's taken me a really long time to realize that that is my go-to. Like my go-to is to be a people pleaser, to be a connector, to, to try to get my hands in a lot of different pots, but it wasn't serving me. It was actually stressing me out more. And so I've let a lot of that go. But now when something comes my way, my first instinct is like, yes, but it's now I'm recognizing that, okay, like, wait, do you really want to do this? your, my gut instinct is going to say yes, but then actually pausing and saying like, no, do you really want to do this? Or do you want to let someone else do it? Um, and that's hard for me, but it's definitely, um, allowed me to one, feel more comfortable saying no, but two, really focus on the things that I want to focus on. That's been a hard one for me, uh, backing off since working and my husband has, we've changed roles. Um, well, not really changed roles. I'm still the mother and he's still <laughs> the dad, but um, our domesticated roles. And because he kind of became a stay at home dad um, a few years ago. And I can't tell you the tremendous guilt that I've had of not being the one that cooks everything, cleans everything. And it's still there, right? The conversation um, or creating the life that I truly want, like that emotional freedom and feeling guilty for it because somebody else isn't there yet. Or, you know, they'll make a comment and I'm like, do you know what I had to do to get here? And aren't we all working towards something? Can't we all be proud of each other? Um, but it's been, it's been an identity crisis. That's for sure. To, to create the life that you want, but to go from such extremes of like complete exhaustion and 
barely making and like eating. And, you know, my husband was working outside of the house. So I was building the business while taking care of the kids and doing all of that to the extreme opposite. Like, yeah, you got some shit to work through. <laughs> A lot. Um, well, Heather, I could talk to you for hours. Um, so thank you for sharing your truth and your story. Um, how can people continue to follow you on your journey? Yeah. So you can find me on the podcast. Mom is in control. M O M not S just mom is in control and now have mom is in control business. So I've kind of just, um, yeah, I'm finding the, that I have the desire to really talk about, uh, female in those roles because I think a lot of times how we show up in our personal lives trickles into our professional lives and it's not sustainable because we're, doing the same thing. So, um, on the podcasts or my website, um, heatherchauvin.com. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. So here's the thing. When I started this journey for myself, I didn't know what to do once I admitted I wasn't happy. I felt relief for finally admitting that I was numb inside, but I didn't know what my next step should be. So I got help and I found a community. My goal with this podcast is to pay it forward. So I've just created a private Facebook community. And in this community, I hope to create a space where others can share their moments, big or small, that are part of your story. Because what I learned in going through this process myself is when you're not telling your story, someone else is telling it for you. So if you've ever had this little fire inside of you burning to share your story, if you ever heard this little voice encouraging you to write down your story, come join my Facebook community. In it, I'll be sharing more insights and truths of my own and I'll also be sharing tips and journal prompts to get you to be starting down the path of getting comfortable sharing your story. This isn't easy but I'm here to hold your hand because someone held my hand when I went through it myself. I look forward to seeing you there.